Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Well, it was a damp, late summer evening. You know the type here in Florida where it's just humid and muggy, but still kind of somehow strangely refreshing after you've been beat down by the September Florida sun for like 12 hours straight. I returned to my, uh, my apartment uh, after a day of classes, and when I got home, my apartment was nice and empty just the way that I liked it, because it's normally a delight after spending a whole day talking to people and, and just doing all of the things that we're required to do as human beings out in the world. So I get home to my empty apartment, and I realize almost immediately when I walk in the door that something is seriously wrong. You see, for the past six months, when I entered my little apartment in Tampa, I was greeted by the joyful little kitten that I had adopted from the Hillsborough County Pet Resource Center. And so today, I got no such greeting. And perplexed, I stared down at the carpet, and I noticed the perfectly straight rows of lines. And I breathed in and had the startling realization just at that moment when the potent yet pleasant smell of carpet cleaner hit my nostrils. Oh no. The property management company had come in and cleaned my carpets which is normally a good thing. It's something that they did every year as a reward for renewing my lease. But this was the first time that I had to be worried about the fact that there was a pet in my home. And so I had the realization there must be a very scared kitten somewhere in my house that I need to find. So I looked high and low under couches, under beds, in every crack and crevice above the countertops in the cabinets just in case because, you know, kittens be doing whatever they want to do. No sign of my little friend. My heart sank and my heart began to pound and I could almost feel the, the color draining from my face when I had the realization, oh no. What if they had left the door open while they cleaned the carpets? At this point, uh, Lexi had just arrived home, and so we continued to search the house. She was a seasoned cat owner. I was a rookie 
You know, so she knew that, that cats were uh, capable of getting in some pretty strange places. And so we just, we looked around, we called for him, and uh, to no avail. So then we went outside, and we began to look outside of, of the house, which backed right up to a wooded area. No kitten. It was getting later and later, and we had a commitment to get to on this particular Friday evening, and so we reluctantly left, praying and hoping that the little guy was just asleep somewhere strange and would greet us when we came home later in the evening. We returned, and it was dark out. We entered the house, and still, no cat greeting. And so we went back outside where it was a bit quieter than it had been earlier. The, the sounds of birds chirping, children playing, and cars going down the busy neighboring road had subsided. And we just called out his name, Finn, Finn, over and over, walking all over our complex grounds. And when I was sure that we'd never find him, after an hour or so, we began to walk home along the tree line of that wooded area. And when we got right behind our apartment, we heard the softest, faintest little sound. Meow? Almost like a question. And then again, meow? So I, I leapt into the wooded area following the sound that grew louder and louder until I found its source. My little kitten, Finn, sitting low in a tree, not 50 feet from our home. So I emerged from the woods about as proud and as relieved as I've ever been in my life, carrying scars and uh, scratches and stickers from everything that I had plowed through to get to him, carrying my prized possession, the one who was lost but now was found. And when I think of what Jesus must look like when one of us returns home to him, when one of us reaches out and says, God, help me, I think he probably looks like I looked, kind of disheveled, a little bit beaten up, but beaming with joy and relief as I cradled the little ball of fur close to my heart. I think we all have a similar story both of finding something that we believed was lost and perhaps a story of how we too have been found. The feeling of joy on, on both ends of this spectrum is one of the inexplicable delights in life. It, it restores hope in us and reminds us that not all that is lost will stay lost forever. Which is really good news for us because it means that if we have found ourselves in a bit of a jam, if we've wandered far from our faith or if we've never had any real faith to begin with, then perhaps, just maybe, we aren't without help of God's redeeming love. Today's text is going to come from Luke chapter 15. Now, Jesus, at this point in his life and ministry, has been doing a lot of teaching. And right here in the context where this 
uh, text is going to come from, Jesus is talking to people. He's teaching them all kinds of stuff, and he's catching the attention of, you know, all the people that really don't want Jesus to be doing what he's doing. These, these people called Pharisees, if you know anything about them, they're not fans of Jesus. They're not waving little pennants that say Team Jesus on them. They're, they're really kind of disturbed by the things that Jesus is saying and doing, but mostly they're disturbed about how Jesus goes about his work. And so in Luke chapter 15, we're going to find some a bit of a confrontation between Jesus and these Pharisees who are constantly trying to find fault with Jesus so that they can have some reason to discredit him or maybe even get him in a little bit more trouble than just sullying public opinion about him. And so this is uh, Luke 15, starting at chapter 1. It says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, I know around here, the tax collector's office is kind of a place that you just got to go to and renew your driver's license every 10 years or so, and maybe you got to pay taxes. But tax collectors in Jesus' time were not friends. They were not good people. They were not those folks that you want to spend your time with because these were people who worked for the Roman government and who spent most of their lives and made a living defrauding the people, charging them more tax than was actually owed in order to line their pockets. They were a symbol, a plant within society of the oppression that was Based by Israel from the Roman Empire. So tax collectors and sinners. People that nobody wanted to spend their time with. People that nobody wanted anybody spending their time with. And so that's kind of the setup here, right? Jesus is hanging out with these people who are far from the model citizens. And the Pharisees are upset about this, and so they confront him. They're like, look at this guy. He can't, he can't be for real. Look at who he hangs out with. Guilty by association. And so Jesus' response to them is a series of stories. Of course, it's Jesus. It's what he does. So it goes on. It says, so he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and he rejoices. Then he comes home and he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's kind of like an odd story because it goes against at least my common sense. Like, why would you leave 99 perfectly good sheep in order to go find one? Like, that's only 1%. Like, I could deal with losing 1%. But apparently that's not common practice for shepherds out in uh, the, the fields of Israel. And so, you know, I just got to kind of, Jesus says, like, this is, this is 
common knowledge, of course you would do this, right? So it's, although it's reckless to me, you know, uh, the, apparently this is common practice. And so to leave 99 to go and find the one, it's a, it's a powerful metaphor. It's a powerful type of lesson. But Jesus is not convinced that these folks have gotten the point because these folks that he's talking to are probably more like me, like, I don't know about the, the 1%, you know what I mean? And so Jesus continues on. He tells another story that kind of ups the ante. He says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so Jesus kind of moves into this realm of, of common sense here. You know, a, a sheep has value, of course. But a lost coin has a lot of value. And remember what the controversy here is. These Pharisees are upset with Jesus because he is spending his time and energy on the people that he is spending his time and energy on. Sinners and tax collectors. And so Jesus is like, listen, don't you understand that I don't see them as sinners and tax collectors? I see them of, as persons of deep value. You'd go after one out of 100 sheep, wouldn't you? You'd search for the 1%. Certainly, you'd look far and wide for 10% of your personal fortune. Would you not? You'd expend energy on those things. But don't you know how valuable the human soul is? So Jesus' message to them and to us and to, to everyone who has ever lived is that God is relentlessly seeking after you. No matter where you are, God wants you to be found. And so I don't know if you need to hear that specifically today, but if you are lost, God is there waiting with open arms for you to call out. God thinks that you are the most valuable and worthy and worthwhile thing in this world. But you know, not everyone was prepared to hear that message that Jesus had to give. Not everyone was willing to understand and believe that God actually really cares about the people that don't fit the religious mold. The Pharisees were certainly bothered by this fact. And that's why they're coming after him and accusing him of pretty serious things. So what Jesus is being accused of is really malpractice. Shepherd malpractice, if you will. What kind of rabbi wastes his time with those people when there's perfectly good people over here who could benefit from your time and your energy? Why are you spending it on lost causes? 
The Pharisees aren't really mad that Jesus is teaching people. They're mad at who he's teaching. He's teaching people who aren't worthy of the kingdom of God. He's teaching people who aren't worthy of hearing this gospel message that he adamantly teaches. They think that Jesus is wasting his time and that Jesus is endangering the purity of the religious structure in Israel by doing the things that he is doing. And Jesus knows this. And so he tells them one last story. And so he continues on. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me after he dies. And so he divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and bread to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And so he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the slaves and he asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come home. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and he refused to go in. But his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you. And I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost. 
and he has been found. It's a timeless story, right? It's wonderful. It's one that we've probably told and, and heard thousands of times. And when we, when we read it, when we hear it, we tend to get wrapped up in the joy of the father and the redemption of the lost son who has come home. And that's important because these are, are important metaphors for God and for God's people. We're called to identify with this son, the prodigal son, the one who left and comes home because that's our reality. We were dead and came back to life. We were lost and we have been found. But this story isn't only about the first brother. In fact, the first brother is really not the main character at all. The first brother plays a supporting role in who the story is really about. And so, yes, while we are called to identify with the son who ran away, the son who basically said to his father, I wish you were already dead so I could have half of what's yours. We're called to identify with the squandering of the gift that was given to him on reckless living. We're called to identify ourselves as the prodigal one. The character who carries the real message of Jesus' story is who we're called to identify with as well. Because Jesus wants the Pharisees. Jesus wants you and me to identify with the other brother. The brother who never left home. The brother who always did the right thing and who seemed to have lived a thankless life because of it. Jesus wants us to identify with the feelings that that brother has about all of this hoopla surrounding the return of his dirty, broke, treacherous, maybe even treasonous little brother. Jesus is holding up a mirror for the Pharisees to look at themselves and hear the message of the Father. Of course I love you too. All that is mine is still yours. We're having a party because this man, these sinners, these tax collectors deserve it. We're having a party because they were lost and now they've been found. And let's be honest, Jesus is holding the mirror up to us as well. Jesus is like, listen, I know that you're not always brimming with anticipation and, and willingness to go out and spend time with people who smell bad, with people who are homeless, with people who are addicted, with people who are just a little rough around the edges. I know, but I know that it's tough. I get it. But look, these people are the mission field. These are the ones that God is rejoicing over. These are the ones who could teach you some lessons. 
And it's becoming clearer and clearer to me as we navigate ourselves through this 21st century that the people that God wants the church to reach are becoming increasingly less polished. And perhaps that's a good thing. Perhaps we need a new look around these old places. Churches have been predominantly just passing around Christians for the past several years, doing a lot less conversion. A lot less people are new to following Jesus. And that's not really what we're supposed to do. The Pharisees and often our, our modern Christian church culture want religious places to be uh, museums that highlight how good we are and all the good that we do in the world. And, and while that's nice and that's well and that's good, what Jesus really wants the church to be is a hospital, kind of messy, kind of broken. And God wants his people to be the nurses and the physicians who are offering healing to those who need it. Jesus is calling us to go looking for the lost, to welcome them home, and to quite honestly throw a party whenever one of God's children was lost and is now found. And this is like not the work of one person or just one team of people. This is the work of every person who has learned how to walk through the mess of their past, of their own lostness, and learned to paint a new portrait of their lives with their ashes. We've got to get out there and teach others how to paint with their ashes too. We've got to relentlessly pursue those who have walked away from the faith, as we are very much prone to do. That same cat, every opportunity he gets to run out the door, he still takes it. He knows what's out there. He knows he doesn't want to be out there. And yet, when opportunity arises, there he goes. And we, like God's beloved treasures, us people, we're not immune to being re-lost either. But thankfully, God wants to reclaim us time and time again. And God wants to use us. God's chosen people, the church, as instruments who are the ones who go out and find those lost sheep and teach them how to paint a beautiful new portrait with the ashes of their lives. And so, God, we thank you. We thank you for just the, the many ways that you have shown us time and time again that you want to be our God, that you want us to come home and that you want us to live and bask in the glory of being found. So we pray that you would continue to, to show us 
how this is your great wish for your whole world, that you would spur us into action to go out, to seek out and save the lost. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Those things that enable people like us to claim a new future. No longer lost, but found. No longer dead, but alive. Found and alive for the very purpose of going out and finding and helping those who are still dead to come to life. New life, which is found only in you. And so God, we thank you. We urge you. We beg you to show us how to be agents of your love to this world. To seek out and save the lost. And throw parties anytime one sinner repents and finds new life in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.